Well, the, um, <clears throat> the word spin is um, first and most properly um, a verb used to describe a manner of motion or a movement, a, a fast uh, turning motion, such as a top that spins, or you do the hokey pokey and you spin yourself around. Or a vinyl record that you spin on the turntable, if anyone remembers that, and uh, hoping that your car doesn't spin out on, on the ice. <clears throat> but over the last de decade, um, uh, it seems that the word spin has taken on a new meaning. It's become sort of a slang expression. Um, spin refers to a particular way of representing an event or a situation in public, uh, to, uh, in a particular way uh, of representing an event or situation to the public in a way that will be understood in a manner that you want it to be understood, irrespective of the truth. Uh, to spin some news or information to someone means you're putting a particular bias uh, or slant on the facts for your own purposes. For example, um, uh, after the governor at his monthly uh, press conference made the unfortunate, if uh, righteous, suggestion that holiday shoplifters ought to be made to stand holding a large placard with the word shoplifter written on it, his chief of staff quickly called a a news conference to spin the governor's uh, words, explaining that he was, of course, speaking figuratively and that the governor understood that people, many people are trapped in a, a cycle of poverty and are forced to supplement their food intake with groceries, uh, items regretfully uh, taken from shops without payment to feed their starving families. Is that what the governor really meant to say? Well, you get the idea. <clears throat> So our text this morning is all about Jesus busting spin. Oh, there's another, there's another uh, slang expression. Busting means that in today's uh, argo um, to um, embarrassingly expose someone. In the, this context, uh, by the expression busting spin, I mean to talk about how Jesus exposes the sinfulness of deliberate falsehood perpetrated by people using words, in this case especially oaths or vows, in a deliberately deceitful or manipulative way. And he calls us uh, to name that sort of sneaky, self-serving falsehood for what it is, wicked deceit. And we as Christians of all people need to put that to death. We uh, ought not to, uh, to do such things. We ought to speak uh, trustfully and, and, and speak uh, plain words uh, and the truth and not spin them. So, see what I mean by turning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verses um, 33 to 38. I return this morning to my series on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33. Hear now the word of God. <clears throat> Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, 
for it is the city of, great, of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, or the evil one. <clears throat> well, throughout the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has made it very clear that he is not seeking to overthrow the Old Testament law. Um, but in a masterly manner, what he's doing is ex exposing the, the full meaning of the law. Uh, our Lord explains, for example, in verses 21 to 32, uh, that getting to the heart of the prohibition against murder requires us uh, not to dress simply the act of physically murdering someone, but the murderous anger in our hearts. Or in verses 22-27-30, uh, he shows us that the sin of adultery is perpetrated even by a man who looks, uh, simply looks with lust upon a woman. So Jesus is setting the bar high for us Christians. He wants us to understand that God looks upon our hearts and not simply our outward actions. And this is important because every one of us uh, are recovering Pharisees. We are all prone to Pharisaical literalism as a means of deceitfully representing or spinning ourselves falsely toward others. <clears throat> In the case of the text before us this morning, our Lord addresses uh, the matter of oaths and swearing. Uh, in which this art of literalism and obfuscation or creating legal loopholes and verbal, verbal tricks uh, is, is employed as a means of deliberately being less uh, than transparent and less than honest with regard to our words, our oaths, promises. Now, Jesus addresses this more fully in Matthew 23, where he chastises uh, the Pharisees for using such tricks as swearing by the temple as opposed to the gold of the temple or by the altar as opposed to the gift on the altar as a means of deceiving people. In other words, if, if someone wasn't really serious about an oath, uh, he might swear by something less sacred, uh, such as heaven or Jerusalem. And since uh, the person didn't actually invoke the literal name of God, he could later claim that he hadn't been involved in a binding oath after all. It's sort of like, you know, putting your fingers behind your back and crossed like this you know, when you're making some, some promise. Um, well, <clears throat> what Jesus is, is referring to in our text is this very sort of um, action, this very sort of um, tricky uh, way of speaking. Uh, it was a sort of legal loophole whereby a person could, could um, might leave himself a means by which he could sort of duck out of the commitment if he had to. Sort of, sort of like a small print at the bottom of, of a contract by the insurance company that's nearly impossible to read, but which allows them to refuse to pay on your claim. Uh, this sort of thing was common in Jesus' day, just as, as it is today, where people employ uh, weasel words, um, uh, a lot of smoke, and a lot of um, fancy legalese, legalese to, to obscure the simple truth with long contracts or 
political doublespeech. But Jesus sweeps all of that off the table. He sweeps it all away in verse 33 by saying, You shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, our Lord, in these words, is not forbidding um, the taking of serious or necessary oaths. There are certainly numerous examples, and this is a perfect example of how you have to see the whole, uh, all of Scripture and not simply isolate some one text. When we look at all of Scripture, we see uh, a number of occasions, numerous occasions for lawful oaths throughout Scripture. God himself swears an oath in Genesis 15. Uh, Jesus responds righteously to an oath during his trial before the Sanhedrin. The Apostle Paul takes an oath in the book of Acts. And all of you who are married have taken solemn oaths before God and witnesses. Even those of you who have joined the church have sworn an oath of loyalty to God. So there's nothing improper about any of those things. The Westminster Confession of Faith devotes an entire chapter, chapter 22, to oaths and promises. And I'd invite you to look at that. And, and we read, of course, from that uh, long portion of the larger catechism regarding the sanctity of truth. So when Jesus is warning us against his false swearing or rash, unnecessary swearing, <clears throat> Jesus is admonishing us to be transparently honest in our dealings with one another, especially regarding our words. We are not spin the truth. Uh, spinning the truth, uh, giving half-truths, uh, which, which in effect are no truth, not truth at all, um, that's a trick that comes, you will remember, from the evil one himself. Um, uh, in, in, uh, in Genesis, we, there's a specialty of Satan. When he approaches Eve in the garden, you recall this, uh, he says to her, did, did God really say that you, you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Um, well, uh, that's, that's not what God said, but it is part of what God said. Um, and when Eve reminds him that, um, that uh, only they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or touch it, that was an embellishment of the truth on her part, but they would surely die. Well, when she said that, you remember, Satan uh, contradicted her again um, and, uh, and contradicted the truth, insisting that she would not surely die. And what he said there might be, again, uh, taken as, as a partial truth because neither Adam or Eve did actually physically drop dead at that moment, though they were spiritually dead and lost and separated from God. But... There was some truth to what he said. So, you see, spinning the truth is essentially a deceptive self-serving, repackaging of facts in a way that uh, deliberately seeks to bias the listener uh, to the speaker's point of view. And in its most innocent form, spinning the truth is sort of the art of putting things in the best possible light for someone. But it is still essentially dishonest and deceptive. I mean, here's a man who uses his business expense account to pay for a wonderful weekend with his friend out, uh, who he takes out on a fishing trip. And then back in the office the next day, he openly boasts about it, saying, oh, the company picked up the tab from some pretty nice fish this weekend. Everyone had a good laugh at the expense of the company, 
and slaps the man on the back for being such a sly, clever fellow. But when word gets around to the boss, he was not so amused. And he called the man into his office and demanded an explanation of his apparent misuse of funds. But the employee creatively explained uh, that he considered his friend as a valuable business asset in possession of important inside information. He did take him fishing on the company's dime, but his real intended purpose, the real catch of the day, if you will, the fish to which he was referring at the water cooler with some of his friends, uh, involved uh, valuable technical information which he was able to learn uh, through carefully questioning his friend during their conversations on the weekend. So the money was well spent and a good use of company funds. The art of spin. <clears throat> but how often, brothers and sisters, we, we tend to do things like that. We, we massage the truth a little. We, we craft our words so as to reflect well upon ourselves, and even if it's not perfectly accurate. Uh, we describe things or we report on things that have been told or learned about in a, in a manner that puts ourselves in the best possible light. Uh, we, we, um, we, 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 we serve ourselves best in the eyes of others in the way that we're speaking. We, we spin the truth, we spin the facts in a way that at least stretches the truth, if not totally eviscerating it. Uh, we complain about politicians and handlers and, and their handlers and biased news accounts that serve a liberal cause or a conservative cause, repackaging and spinning the events of the day in, in some sly way. We complain about that, but how careful are we about our own words uh, and how meticulous are we uh, to be sure we're speaking the unvarnished truth to others? Well, this is not unimportant. Um, don't we serve a God of truth? And we depend upon his truth. Um, the familiar uh, fourth answer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is God, says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, and truth. Which tells us that God is infinitely and completely truthful. There's nothing more truthful. God is the essence of truth. God is truth. And no one knows more uh, uh, truth more exhaustively than God, for he created all things. And so his words to us are perfectly truthful. God and his word to us is also eternally truthful. They're, they're perfectly tr tr true today and they, as, they, as they were from the beginning of time. And they're unchangeably truthful. There'll never be a time uh, when the truth of God's word needs to be changed with the times or tweaked or spinned uh, spun to accommodate uh, modern uh, science or culture or some other such thing. Uh, God never needs to spin the truth to meet the circumstances of the age. And as God's people, as God's chosen people, we are to reflect that same commitment to truth back to him and to one another. Our word must be our bond. We must uh, not try to flim-flam people, either with words or appearances. You know, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were masters of spin. Uh, they, they loved to give, remember, uh, long, showy prayers and, and wear beautiful, flowing robes. Um, the, 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 the Puritans would call them uh, gorgeous robes when they're speaking of the, uh, 
uh, the Anglicans of that day. Um, and, uh, and they sought to make people think they were more holy than they really were. Uh, deceitful appearances can be a means of spinning the truth, can't they? Just appearances. But brothers and sisters, don't you know again that our very salvation depends upon the truth? First and foremost, the covenant truth uh, of the faithfulness of God who made clear promises, clear promises to, uh, uh, in clear language that we can understand and upon which we can trust. God promises that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We, we trust our souls upon that clear, obvious truth and the meaning of those words which we understand. Uh, Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned but is crossed over from death to life. What a beautiful expression of truth. We cast ourselves upon Christ, trusting in his truth and in those clear, transparent words. Uh, trusting that God will keep his promises and, um, and will receive us in heaven on the last day. We depend upon it. Uh, we, um, uh, we trust uh, the very word promise of the Father that accepts Jesus his work on the cross, his sacrifice on the cross, as payment for our sins, and will be received into heaven. We believe that. We trust in that. And, and we trust the word of God, uh, that our broken promises and our hypocritical words and deliberate deceit is, in the end, covered by the meritorious blood of Christ as we repent of them. As Christians, we repent of spin. We despise that sort of sneaky dishonesty as unbecoming of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come boldly and truthfully to the Lord. Uh, we don't lie to one another. Uh, we put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator, Colossians 3. The true mortification of sin requires us to put to death what is earthly in ourselves, a sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, and slander. Well, how do we do this? Well, let's keep it simple. Jesus wants us to keep it simple in this text for us. In verse 37, he says, simply what you say, uh, what you say, be it simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or the evil one. Uh, the Christian should let his yes mean yes and his no mean no, writes Sinclair, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, ultimately, he doesn't need to call upon God with oaths to, uh, to witness what he says because God is watching him and is present as he speaks, knowing his heart through and through. Anything beyond this straightforward honesty in our speech comes, says Jesus, from the evil one. And Ferguson gives a, an amusing example of a conversation with some evasive young person who illustrates the, the art of spin wonderfully. Uh, uh, did you take my biscuit? Ferguson means cookie. Uh, uh, I was watching television. I didn't ask if you were watching television. Did you take my biscuit? Uh, there's another one in the box. I didn't. You know, uh, did you take my biscuit? Answer yes or no. 
Uh, so, you know, you get the point. Jesus wants us to be straightforward, yes or no, without evasiveness or duplicity or embellishment. Our truth is sacred and our speech should honor it. Is your speech reliable? Can people trust you as a model of integrity? And, um, and do, you, do you know how to keep your vows? And do you keep your vows and promises? Or do you spin the truth? We should uh, seek hard to be straightforward and honest with our words and with our actions. Um, that's the first thing, that we should let our yes be yes and our no be no. Uh, for a second thing, you and I should love the truth and hate lies. We should love truth and hate lies. We should, um, uh, we should, uh, and part of that, that means is, is to, to, to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. Um, you should make God's truth, uh, as, as given in his word, uh, your truth. Uh, we must receive uh, the Bible and own it without equivocation or condition. Let men call us simple or fundamentalist or worse, if they will. We stand on solid, tested ground. Uh, thirdly, let me suggest that we should be filling our hearts with truth. And that should be reflected by the time we spend in the word of truth, the Holy Scriptures. Maybe some of you have made a commitment to spend more time reading the Bible this year. God's people should be always pouring over God's word. We are a people of the book. We've always been known as such. And we should be known as such. Especially we should love to read about Jesus in the Bible. Uh, there's, brothers and sisters, there's nothing more pathetic and indefensible than a Christian, especially an older Christian, who continually makes excuses for not reading the Bible every day. And, and if you're not a big reader and you say, well, I don't read much, I'm not a reader, well, then listen to it. There are innumerable websites and downloadable apps and programs and even dedicated devices that can be had where someone will read the scriptures to you. Anybody can listen. And what better thing there is to do than to listen to the word of God? If you will fill your hearts and ears with God's perspective and God's truth, you'll be far less easily impressed or confused by the words of men and perhaps more inclined to be truthful yourself. Jesus said, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning that if our hearts are filled with the love of Christ and the love of truth and the love of the gospel, uh, that will have an impact on what we say and what we do. A busting spin in our lives, being transparently honest, means fleeing falsehood, remembering always that we, remembering always that we live before the face of God, which is to say we live in the presence of of God who sees and hears everything we say and do. Thank the Lord that we have a God who has been busting spin in the lives of his people from the days of the, the sin of our first parents. Um, for the revealed will of God is your sanctification. We have a Savior who saves us from falsehood. We have a Holy Spirit who convicts and encourages us and rejoices in our heart to speak the truth in love. And as, and, and as people who bear witness uh, in our hearts, uh, 
a spirit bearing witness in our hearts, rather, uh, it causes us to rejoice as we read and we contemplate the holy acts of God and his merciful redemption in Jesus Christ. Uh, speaking the truth, living the truth is not a burden. It's a beautiful privilege and a blessing. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God of truth. And you speak truth because you know all things. There's nothing you don't know. There's nothing you'll ever be surprised on about. You'll never discover something that you, you hadn't thought of or didn't know. You know all things, and so you speak truthfully. And you have deigned to speak truthfully to us in your word, the Bible. Lord, not everything is in the Bible. But what we need to know, you've given to us in your word, the Bible. And Lord, there is truth. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of your truth. We pray that we might be careful ourselves to speak words of truth and to imply truth always. Lord, help us in this, we pray. As we live in a world filled with untruth and filled with people who are conveniently spinning the truth for themselves or for others very frequently. Help us, Lord. Give us grace to stand aside from that sinful practice and to be a people of truth, serving a wonderful, glorious, forgiving, truthful God. We pray in his, Jesus' name. Amen.